Hello and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian here in New Haven, Connecticut. And this is episode 22. I can't believe that. Um, it's December and Thanksgiving was last week. Um, I know Thanksgiving can be a really hard time for everyone with an eating disorder or disordered eating or, or really everyone. Um, it's like simultaneously the best and worst holiday. So just want to say we made it. We got through the holiday. Um, we're on the other side. Whatever happened, if you relapsed, if you didn't relapse, if you spent the whole holiday not knowing how to eat or what to eat or whatever happened, um, we're on the other side now and you can start over. There is no, you know, that day had to be the hallmark of what your year will be. Um, you can start again. I have had some truly horrific Thanksgivings. And I'm really thankful this year that uh, Thanksgiving was not that way. I, you know, felt good. I ate. I was happy. I, um, you know, even enjoyed having all the food around me and all the people. And it's really a great feeling um, to know that I'm sort of past that stage. But trust me, people, I have been there um, where Thanksgiving was not good. And Ed was with me every step of the way. So I'm here for you. If that's what happened, um, know that you're not alone and um, it's definitely not easy. So anyway, before we get to the news item, I just wanted to say I get a lot of questions um, and I know a lot of other non-diet dietitians do as well about haze. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, that's health at every size. Health, that's the emphasis, not healthy. And the idea is really more about respect and um, proper health care. Uh, no one is saying that no matter what weight you are, you are healthy. Clearly, we know that's not true for lots of people with an eating disorder. Um, you're, you're not the weight that is healthy for you. You're not taking care of your body. You're not nourishing it enough, no matter if you're below or above that BMI scale. Your weight is probably not where it ought to be. Um, but health at every size talks about, you know, treating everyone with respect, looking at what's actually, you know, medically problematic and not just looking at a weight number and saying, oh, I know what's wrong with you because you don't, you don't know. I was never under what technically someone would say was a, um, you know, underweight BMI, but I was definitely undernourished when I had an eating disorder, um, that was active and, that is true for so many people. So um, yeah, health at every size is not saying that everyone's healthy no matter what weight they are. That's not the idea. The idea is, you know, providing chairs for everyone to sit in no matter what size they are, treating them with respect, talking about real medical problems, not just the number on the scale. So just wanted to talk about that, bring it up. I'll probably bring it up a lot in the intro since that is the most common question I get. And hopefully someday I'll say it in a way that, you know, rings true for you and, and you get it. So anyway, today the news item um, is on eatingdisorderhope.com and it's talking about benefits of pet therapy. So I often think of pet therapy as de-stressing, um, which it really can be, you know, cuddling with a dog, petting a cat. Um, you know, sitting with an animal that's just loving you, no matter what, can be really helpful for a, ride, a wide range of mental illnesses, and eating disorders are no different. Um, 
there is a whole list in the article of ways that pet therapy can be helpful. And I wanted to share this news um, because there is no one way to eating disorder recovery. I think a lot of times, you know, someone recovers um, or gets, you know, to a point where they haven't been relapsing for a while and they're like, okay, I know how to help everyone and anyone recover from an eating disorder. And while you can offer advice, um, there isn't one way. So you can't say this is what you have to do and you'll be there. Because for some people, pet therapy might be the answer. And for other people, it might be totally different. Um, Some people need to go to residential treatment. Others don't. Um, Some people, it's finding a close friend to finally, you know, help you have some stability in life. There's so many ways um, that people really get to recovery. Obviously, I'm always going to promote, um, you know, seeing a doctor, seeing a dietitian, seeing a therapist. Those are medical treatments um, that are shown to really work. But there's so many things that can help us. So this is one other thing that if you haven't found something that helps you yet, maybe it's pet therapy. Um, okay. So today on the podcast, I'm really excited. This is um, a little bit different of an episode again. I have a registered dietitian, uh, Rebecca Clyde. She is the owner of Nourish Nutrition Co. And she has a podcast as well called Table for One. Um, It's a fascinating conversation because we really talk about this all or nothing approach that a lot of people with eating disorders have. It's like, I'm going to do it 100% or I'm not going to do it at all. And that's sort of the approach that she sees with a lot of her clients, um, who are learning how to really cook for themselves and remember that cooking is not only, you know, a gift to others, but the way we nourish our body. So I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation. Um, It's funny. (laughs) I I, um, think we laugh a lot. So I hope you enjoy it. And Rebecca uh, highlights where you can find her at the end of the podcast. Um, But just so you know, she's at Nourish Nutrition Co., um, her podcast, Table for One. And, um, you know, please check her out and see what kind of great work she does. So here we go with Rebecca Clyde. Hello. Hi, is this Julia? Yeah, this is Julia. Hi, it's Rebecca. Hi, thanks so much for calling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk. Yeah, cool. So I just want to start, tell me a little bit about yourself and about the One Plate program that you have started. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. So I am a dietitian and I typically work with people who are cooking for one. And I found that there's really not that many resources out there. Yeah, for that's that so group. true. And that's, yeah, that's what I mainly focus on. But I um, have a real passion for talking about and helping people improve their body image and dismantling diet culture because it just kind of ruins life. Actually, no, it really does ruin life. It really <laughs> does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> how did you first get introduced to that um, even way of thinking about diet culture or even knowing diet culture was a thing? Yeah, so I I don't remember exactly what class it was, but when I was doing my nutrition program, there so some I think it was like a, somebody who was there to guest speak talked mm-hmm. just brought up the book Intuitive Eating, and I think that's about as far as it went. But it sounded interesting to me, so I ordered it online and I read it and I really liked it. And then I after I finished my internship and became a dietitian, I worked at the at a hospital just doing, you know, working with patients in the hospital and found a lot of them to 
um, not have any motivation to want to make any changes. And that is a separate thing, but it really got me thinking about wanting to help people with more than just nutrition. So I ended up going back to school and got um, a grad degree in exercise physiology and wellness. And that's where I really was introduced to kind of like behavior change and and motivation. And I did my thesis on body image and changes with um, participating in exercise programs. So oh, that's, so cool. that's where it really sparked. Yeah, it was... It, I really, I learned a lot and it was super helpful for me. So, Did you have a specific finding from that research? Uh, the groups weren't big enough to find any findings, which is <laughs> so typical. So, not in particular. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But I, but just learned like reading the literature out there already just opened my eyes a lot. And that was really valuable for me. Yeah. Yeah. So one reason I really was excited to have you on is because, um, as you kind of mentioned at the beginning, most of my clients or not most, but a lot of them come to me and they're like, I live alone. And I, uh, that's when all my problems started or like when I lived alone after college or in college, like that's when all my problems started because maybe they never learned how to cook for themselves or suddenly you don't have someone like motivating you to eat besides yourself um, or you don't know how to cook for yourself. And that sounds like something that you sort of ran into. Yeah, absolutely. So I've lived, I've had a lot of different living situations since moving out from my parents' house. And I felt that way as well when I've been living by myself. Um, You know, unlike if you're cooking for a family or, Maybe if you have roommates who are cooking at similar times or like however that goes, there's there's not that accountability, which for a lot of people plays a huge role in their health behaviors and also like eating behaviors too. And so, um, so yeah, it has its own set of challenges. But I think what I've I'm boiling this down and really oversimplifying. Yeah, no, that's but, okay. We have time, <laughs> so you can explain more too. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So what I found is that a lot of people, at least people that I work with, they do like to cook and they find enjoyment with it. Mm-hmm. But that cooking really is for other people. Yeah. And what I try to do is help people find that joy in cooking for themselves. Because just as, you know, like your loved ones or friends or whoever, just like you want to provide them with something that's delicious and to you know show your love for them that way, the same thing goes for yourself. And I think we overlook that. Because it can be lonely and a lot of other factors. So how do you inspire people to start caring for themselves in that way? Yeah, well, I think the first thing comes down to, and this is easy when you're working with people one-on-one, but I think for anybody to just think about what they feel about cooking, whether it's um, they really enjoy it, they have enjoyed it in the past, they don't really know where to get started, or um, or they don't know how to cook and that's overwhelming or they've had bad experiences in the past. So being able to recognize your own relationship with cooking is really helpful because, you know, I mean, for any of us, like if I, you know, have if I've tried to cook lots of different things and it literally never turns out, like it's, it's time to kind of, um, to kind of rethink that and figure out, what would be helpful and, um, you know, kind of get back to the basics and, and figure out what is going to work. 
question. Yeah. I think it's interesting you use the word like relationship with cooking because it's not like I typically think of relationship as like with another person. Um, but in terms of most people who have an eating disorder, there is a really strong relationship with cooking and food. And oftentimes it's even like someone with an eating disorder loves to cook or is always in the kitchen or, you know, finds that passion, but they never do it for themselves. Sort of what you're saying, you know, it's always for somebody else. I think a lot of the problem is that, you know, they, that people think, you know, I'm not worth cooking for, you know, it's not, it's not worth it to cook or to invest any time or to do what I'm doing if it's just for me, like my body and, and me are not worth it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, that can be people actually explicitly saying that, or like you said, like, it's just not worth it for me to cook. Or, I mean, there's a lot of other uh, reasons that come up that really come down to not feeling like it's worth it or that you're worth it. And the reality is, if, if you like cooking, then that's something that you can do to take care of yourself and also to find a little bit of joy in the day. I feel like a lot of times we just get so caught up in going, 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 or just getting stuff done. And, and at least for my experience, cooking is a way to kind of slow down and just kind of be in the moment and how things turn out yeah yeah definitely I actually just took like a break from working and it was like to cook dinner like that was my (laughs) exciting break because I enjoy it you know you're you're happier around and you're doing something same yeah I totally feel that way as well but one thing I I don't know how many patients you see probably not too too many that have an eating disorder and are coming to see you um but something I think can be challenging is like reestablishing with those patients or with those people that, you know, it's okay to cook things for yourself. And that, um, you know, if you cook like baked dessert, like baking cookies is always something that I think comes up for people who have an eating disorder, but they never ate any of the cookies. And it's like, how do you talk Mm -hmm. to someone and get them to break that habit or branch out? Yeah, so I'll be honest with you. I don't work with many and haven't worked with many um, any clients with eating disorders. But I think, like, at the end of the day, it really comes down to all of those things behind that. Mm-hmm. So whether it's, you know, past experiences or trauma or anything like that that leads you to, to feel like it's just not worth it for you right. or whatever it is, that that's important to address Um and yeah, I think it, it can be, it's it's challenging and it takes a lot more work than, than kind of we expect. But at the end of the day, it's, it's well worth it. And, and regardless of the process, like it's going to be helpful. You learn something at least. Um, so for your typical clients, how do you get them to start caring for themselves or cooking for themselves? Yeah, so I think the first thing that I do when working with people is is kind of bring things, approach it through a lens of um, reality is what I am saying, but I don't think that's what I want to say, but just being reasonable with what you have. Because like maybe realistic. Today, be realistic. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) So just being realistic (laughs) because there are so many things competing for our time and there will be a lot of times in our lives where we just don't have time to cook. Yeah. And cooking is going to make things more stressful. 
So recognizing that and, and feeling like you don't have to cook, I think is a really empowering thing. And I think that can be for, you know, somebody who's recovering from eating disorder or disordered eating tendencies or literally just anybody, because I feel like there's a lot of cultural pressure to, to cook and that that's the best thing. And I hear that all the time, like, oh, I should cook more. Well, why do you feel that way? Well, it's just because it's good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not always the case. And that's like the same answer when someone's like, oh, like I ask patients, you know, why do you feel like your body has to change? And they're like, because it should. Like there, there's never any real, you know, reason. Um, it's just like what we hear all the time. Yeah. And because we hear those messages all the time, like it just, it's just fact and you don't, we don't really need to deep dive any deeper than just it is what it is. And, you know, it, it doesn't help us a whole lot. Yeah. So when you have, you know, someone coming to you and they're like, I'm supposed to cook, do you often see that it's like an all or nothing? Because that's, um, how I see a lot of people around me, if they're saying I'm going to cook, it's like going to be a five-star meal. And if they're not going to cook, you know, they're going to eat a granola bar. And you're like, what's in the middle? Like, What can we do regularly? <laughs> yeah, no, I see that a lot too. I feel like a lot of my work as, um, as a dietitian is giving, is helping people give themselves permission to find a different way. Um, because I completely agree. I think, I think there's, it's, we're just looking at two completely opposite sides of the spectrum and nowhere in between. And the reality is that, you know, nobody has zero time and nobody has all of the time. Right. Yeah. We're all somewhere in the middle. And I think, I think a huge barrier for people is having that expectation like, okay, if I'm going to plan out my meals, I'm going to do it. I hear this all the time for people cooking for one and it just, it doesn't work for us a lot of times, but you know, having this expectation that you're going to spend a couple hours on the weekend to prep and plan and do all of those things. So then you have food for the week and that works for some people. That has never times, worked for especially me. Especially if you're cooking <laughs> yeah. for one. No, me neither. And it's so I don't get it. <laughs> and feel like a failure. Yeah. No, and it, well, and at the end of the day for me and a lot of people I talk to, like, it's taken away from your free time during the weekend. Like yeah. the precious time that you have to do things that you want to do or haven't had time to do during the week. And Yeah, I'm not really better. I'm not really sure where like the idea of meal prepping on Sunday was like the best way to do things came from. Because frankly, I can spend thirty minutes and make dinner every day and I always have thirty minutes, but I never have like four hours to like chop every carrot and, you know, piece of celery or whatever I need. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's I mean, I'm speaking for myself and some people right. I talk to this isn't for everybody, but that's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I would I would I would so much rather do so many things on Sunday. Like beyond yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's, we can stop and kind of talk about this for a second, but it all comes down to sort of the all or nothing feeling where yeah. with my typical patients, it's like either they're going to 100% do what I suggest they do or they're just not going to do it because they think that, um, you know, 50% or 60% is failing. And I don't know. 
when I went to school, yeah, 50% is failing, but 60% wasn't failing. So it's like, at least try a little bit, you know, if you don't make it all the way to, you know, whatever it is, whether it's like, for some of my patients, it's like drinking milk at every meal. It's like, okay, if you had it at breakfast, that's better than nothing. Um, And for, you know, someone you work with might be like cooking, you can cook occasionally is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think I one way that I like to reframe that is thinking of it as an experiment. Yeah. Because there, it's, it's when, I don't know, in like in scientific experiments, you don't necessarily think of like not getting the result that you want as a failure because it, you learn so much along the way. And that is worth so much more than than you would get if you got it right the first time. Right. Yeah. Honestly, in my experience, for sure. So it's sort of the same as the perfectionist <laughs> problem, um, where you know you're too scared to even try because you might fail. Yeah, and that can be a huge barrier to even starting. And so, but what I mean where are you at that point you're you're nowhere and you know not to make light of that because it is such an overwhelming feeling but right um, it doesn't serve us well yeah definitely so are there any like sort of concrete or um you know go-to things that you recommend when you're starting to work with a client you know how can you break down the difficulty of cooking for yourself and learning how to provide for yourself even if it's not you know, other people involved. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to to kind of get started with is just to provide a lot of resources. And I, maybe that's not quite, quite the right word, but to provide them like convenient ways to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. So I, for example, have a friend who, um, who used, one of those meal planning services online and she 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 decided to do that because she was you know spending a lot of money eating out and she just she likes to cook so she wanted to try something different and she's like well it's expensive but at the end of the day it's less expensive the, um, are you talking so about things like blue apron or hello fresh that sort of thing no so the one that she did was cook smart so it was essentially um like a uh, a program, they, like a membership, and then they would send you like shopping lists and, and meal ideas. Oh, so even so less than HelloFresh? Like they don't even send you the food? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. No. Uh-uh. But uh, <laughs> the same thing, you know, I mean, if somebody isn't cooking at all, then something like HelloFresh would probably be a great option because it would be as much as you are paying for eating out. And then also you don't have to think about it. You just make it. Right. Yeah. So this is like grocery list yeah. type thing. Kind of, yeah. So I, so I think, I guess what I'm saying here is it's helpful to start small. So instead of like, again, that like all or nothing mentality, like one step at a time. And, and this friend in particular ended up like getting a grasp on, on meal planning that worked for her. And then she was able to cancel that. So I think also keep in the back of your mind that, that, that way that you're starting out with doesn't have to be the end all. It's just, you know, it's an experiment and it's a step. You can oh, stay on that step for a long time or, you know, you can you can do it for a little bit and then learn something from it and then, you know, do more of it on your own. Um, but, yeah, like I said before, I feel like a lot of what I do is help people give themselves permission to, to do things that they might not have thought were 
good before that those things can really make their lives a lot easier and um, help them uh, eat in a way that's more aligned with what they want to do. And that can be, you know, those meal kits, um, meal planning services, buying frozen meals, you know, buying pre-chopped vegetables or prepared meats or whatever. Yeah. Um, All of those things can really help. Yeah. And understanding that like a frozen food is the same as a fresh food. That oh my gosh, that yeah. comes up for me all the time. And I I don't ever know like quite where to start because I'm just like, what made you think that when I froze that broccoli, it changed? Or like, yeah. like it's getting people to, I understand why, you know, it's marketed all the time. Like you want fresh vegetables in your life and everything. But frozen vegetables or canned vegetable is far better than no vegetable um so i don't know if you have a a good way where you like help people make that realization that it doesn't have to be like fresh it doesn't have to be organic it doesn't have to be any of those things to be good yeah and i think um one thing that i always go back to is the fact that frozen vegetables and even canned vegetables although canned vegetables taste more different than fresh than frozen do but both of those are picked when they're far more ripe than fresh vegetables are. Yeah. So, I mean, if so you're going to cook a vegetable anyways, you might as well start frozen because they're less expensive and they're, they have the potential to have more flavor than the fresh ones are. Unless you go and pick it from your garden or you get it from some, you know, from local, a farmer or something. Um, a local farmer or something. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that I don't know why that comes up all the time. People sort of think that like they have to get, you know, the the fresh vegetable or the meat from the specific butcher or whatever to like have that food at all. Yeah, and I think unfortunately a lot of our views on food and nutrition come from uh, ways that those foods are marketed towards us. Mm, definitely. And that's coming not from nutrition professionals and it can really cloud our judgment and kind of like we talked about before, give us these like really strong ideas or feelings about food without having any, without understanding it, to be honest. Yeah. So do you have any um, like top, like three things that you see either like marketing or people say or ask you that are like your pet peeves in this regard? Oh, that's a good question. So I think the first thing that I hear all the time is, it's kind of like you said, that all or nothing mentality. So mm-hmm. I'm either, I'm either cooking everything from scratch or I'm eating out at a like restaurant or something. Right. And, you know, we already talked about that, that it doesn't have to be either side of that spectrum. You can find ways um, anywhere in between those two options. So that's one thing that I hear a lot. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't, I mean, I don't really hear a timing specific diets all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in terms of misinformation, I'm trying to think. I, most of what I hear is about kind of the mindset part of it and cooking for one and mm-hmm. all that. A lot of people think it just is awful. Yeah. It's, Yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be. Um, So one thing you said to me, I think in your email, but um, 
self-care and body positivity, I feel like are often in one category, right? It's like, you know, there's the eating disorder dietitians and the haze dietitians, and they're always talking about body positivity and self-care. And then there's Mm -hmm. like the weight management dietitians, and they're often talking about meal prepping and cooking and planning and all that. And I think it's super interesting that you're sort of combining those um, and linking in Mm -hmm. self-care with the food part, uh, because that's something I think that a lot of dietitians on the body positivity end of the spectrum uh, sort of lose. They like lose the food part of nutrition. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could like explain how you connect those and how you decided to um, make that your your passion. Yeah, that's a good question. I think at the end of the day, um, well, first of all, I've I've had a little bit of a difficult time, um, like talking to people when I come straight out of the gate and say like, oh, you know, your weight doesn't matter so much. <laughs> it's like, so hard. Let's focus on what it is that you're doing, and that is so off-putting to a lot of people, especially when I worked. Um, I, I worked in a hospital for a few years when I also did corporate wellness. Uh-huh. And so people weren't coming to me to meet with me because they wanted to find a way to, of eating and like thinking about their habits because they don't want to restrict. And so I think most of it came from my experiences with that and that like I don't want people to just tune out right away when I'm talking with them because we, we can have good conversations and um and I can help them unearth some of the things that can help them make changes that they want to change. So I think I think that's kind of the most of it. But two, I mean, like we we have to eat. Yeah. And yes. a lot of us like to eat. So finding ways to merge um, gentle nutrition with like, you know, not not being preoccupied with the way that our bodies look and our weight and doing all of these things that are quote-unquote healthy, whatever those are, um, kind of loosening the rules on all of that, I've, I found to be helpful. Yeah, I think it's so great because I often think, you know, we end up in our little vacuum where we only hear from, you know, others who are thinking like us, and especially in nutrition where there are, you know, such big silos. Um, and for a patient that can be super confusing to bounce from like one dietitian who's like, giving you meal plans and, you know, telling you to step on the scale every day to another dietitian who is like, I'm never going to weigh you and I'm never going to talk, make you talk about, you know, food necessarily, like just talk about how we're feeling. And, you know, you, you need to be somewhere in the middle, right? You're trying to combine those so they're not so thrown off. Well, and especially, um, where the whole medical system is so focused on on weight. Oh, yeah. And so it's more than just dietitians. It's, you know, every time you go to the doctor, if your weight doesn't fall within that one small, narrow category, (laughs) you're going to be told, regardless of you're going into the doctors because you have a cold or because you broke a bone, like, oh, it looks like you need to lose weight. Yeah. That prevents people from going to the doctors. And that's yeah. more dangerous than their weight itself. Definitely. Yeah. I think I went to like the dentist the other day and they even wanted to weigh me. And I was like, since when, since what? when do you need to do this at the dental office? <laughs> um, 
either. You didn't have an anesthesia or anything. No, I did. It's like a regular cleaning. Yeah. I don't know. I was very thrown off. Wow. Um, but wow. this is off topic. No, but, that's okay. Um, I got an email from from like the somebody in our local dietetic association, and there's a dentist office that. I don't remember exactly, but it just made me brush in my mouth a little bit. It was like so, like weight loss and all of these things with this dental practice. And, I mean, that's really reaching for it. And, unfortunately, we just live in this culture where the only thing that matters, especially for women, is how our bodies look. Yeah. Yeah, we never talk about, like, how are we feeling or, like, did we like what we ate? Did we like cooking or going out or anything? It's just, did the food have less everything basically yeah and at the end of the day so many people are so miserable doing that and unfortunately so many more people don't realize that like the misery of it because it's just what you do Mm -hmm. do you ever have like a client that you're working with sort of have one of those like aha moments with you where they're like oh my gosh I've been sort of living on this train and cycle of constantly wanting to eat less but never really being able to do that and then just fluctuating back and forth and realizing you know they don't have to be like that yeah oh absolutely it happens a lot and I think and I think what's hard for people is that you don't just make have that realization that you don't have to restrict yourself and then you stop restricting yourself Mm -hmm. like it's this constant reminder um and it's something that we just have to that we experience all the time and and it's okay to have those experiences because it's part of being human um, yeah it's part of excuse me it's part of being a woman <laughs> because we're like yeah we're bombarded with, with those expectations all the time and then if um if you decide or if you like you relate more to something that goes against that like it's um you're swimming upstream a little bit or a lot Yeah, this is somewhat unrelated as well. But you reminded me because of it's like being a woman. I just got married and uh, everyone told me I wasn't going to eat the food at my wedding. Just like constantly. They were were just like, yeah, like you're never going to eat what you're like, what is served at your wedding because, you know, you got to fit in your dress and because you're going to be so busy and all that stuff. And I was like, I'm going to make time for the food. Like what? Of course I am. Um, it, it's, it was just so crazy because no one ever said that to my husband. No one ever was like, oh, you're not going to eat or you're not going to fit in your suit if you eat. Um, so, yeah. That is so interesting because <laughs> I hear that all the time, too, and I've never heard. Maybe I'm just in a, a lucky vacuum, but I've never <laughs> heard people relate that to, like, fitting in your dress. But definitely the busyness. But I've only heard that from women and female friends (laughs) right yeah the busyness I mean it kind of makes sense it was a crazy day um but like my dress wasn't gonna just like pop off that didn't happen um (laughs) (laughs) so yeah totally and it would make the day so much more enjoyable to be fueled throughout it yeah I like to eat food and drink some water um but yeah Mm -hmm. so I like to end every uh conversation asking um my guest and this will be maybe really challenging for you because you seem to cook a lot um but what is your favorite food 
yeah, that is hard. I feel like it always changes. Yeah, so and that's okay. It's fall. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fall and I live in Utah and there and I grew up in Washington. Okay. So hands down right now my favorite food is apples. Oh there, wow, yeah. um, is an apple grower just south of where I live that I don't know I don't know what he does, but the um he grows braver and apples and they're the best apples that I've ever had. Is that your favorite the type? The problem is that we've had uh, not normally, but those ones are so good. They're like tart, but not too tart, and they're mm. super crunchy, and they're just they're so good. Uh, so but good. with the we've had weird weather patterns, like a really wet spring, and then yeah, uh, and then a fairly hot summer. And I don't think I'm gonna be able to get any of this year because I have a short um, harvest window. Oh no. It's sad, but there are other good apples. It's not quite as good as <laughs> Oh, gosh. Do you have a favorite recipe to make so with it. apples or just eating them raw? Yeah, when it comes to those, like those farmer's market apples, I usually eat those raw unless they start to go. Um, I'm not able to eat them while they're still crisp. Yeah, um, the mushy like apple. apple. There's nothing crisp. worse. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, I can't even eat them. Um, <laughs> but those are good for applesauce and to cook with them. Yeah. Um, I we always grew up eating apples with um with pork chops. Me too. And I really yeah. like that combination. Yeah. It's so good. Applesauce is great, but great apples is even better. So I like those and then apple crisps for sure. Oh good. Yeah, that's delicious. Great. Well, do you, um, I know you have a, a company and a website, so if you want to promote that, that's um, great too. I'm sure people would want to know where to find you. Yeah, sure. So my blog is Nourish Nutrition Blog. And one thing that I do that's unique that I um, always like to highlight is the fact that I, so when you're cooking for one, if you're cooking single servings, you often have a lot of leftovers of the ingredients that you use. So I give suggestions of what to make with that. Because oh, each, that's so cool. Um, yeah, so a big problem that a lot of people I work with have is, you know, having a bunch of leftover ingredients that end up going bad. So I share ways to use those. I have um, a Facebook group where we talk about all things cooking for one. It's called Table for One. And that's the name of my podcast where I talk about cooking for one and interview people and then instagram is nnc which is nourish nutrition co it's just nnc underscore table for one and that's awesome the best ways to do you have a, a specific food that you get requested all the time that they have left over uh celery a lot yeah and... i just threw out some celery okay yeah <laughs> It's the worst. <laughs> what do you <laughs> do with it? And green onions. I I'll chop it up and have it as snacks. If I want something crunchy. Um, mm. I also I like, I like cooked celery. I know a lot of people don't, but I'll just throw it in anything. Like oh, I wow. made pasta sauce with um, I I made pasta sauce with um tomatoes that I got from my garden over the summer, and I added a bunch of celery to it, and I just love that. So it's not every, for everybody, but I. Well, I'll take, I've never done that. I've like only ever had celery in soup. Um, I think. Yeah. Or salad, you know. But. Yeah, it's one of the. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And there again, there's a lot of people who don't like it cooked, and that's totally fine. But I, I really like it in like a marinara sauce. Well, I'll have to check really that out. Good. 
Awesome. Yeah, and it's a good way to use up that celery. That's even if it's pretty limp, it still works when it's cooked. That's true. Okay, because I frequently wish you could buy one like rod of celery instead of an entire right like bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I yeah, I feel like celery and green onions are a couple of those vegetables that you just can't. It's so hard to use up the whole thing. Yeah, so true. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. It was really fun to talk to you. Yeah, it was so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. All right, have a great evening. Thanks, you too. Bye. Hey guys, it's me again. If you made it this far, um, I'm sure you love the show. So do me a favor and go rate or review it or both um, on Apple Podcasts. That would really help other listeners find the show. So that just go to Apple Podcasts, the podcast homepage, and you know, give it a, a star rating, write a little review, what you like about it. Um, And yeah, I would really appreciate it. Also, if you're looking for more content from me, go check out worthyourwhile.com or worthyourwhile at um, Instagram. So that's at worthyourwhile. I hope to see you all there. Have a wonderful week.